attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guest on the podcast, Jim Warren. Jim Warren was a waterfront director in the 70s. You're going to hear all about that. You'll hear about uh, his later exploits at camp as they went on. Uh, He was a great time to talk to and someone I'd heard a lot about over the years, but I'd never got to meet. So another one of those great times getting to meet a guy who I'd heard so many stories about and finally got to put a a face to the name. Before we get to that, a couple of pieces of business. Number one, the official invite for OJ90 is going out uh, in, in about 10 days or so, give or take. Uh, in that official invite, you'll be able to purchase your ticket. So this is the the ticket sales are going on, or the tickets are going on sales. What I'm trying to say, uh, a normal podcasting human being would edit all that out, but I want you to see that I'm fallible. I'm fallible. I'm a human being. Uh, ticket sales are going on, <laughs> starting with the invite going out. What's important about that is the invite's going to be digital, and we want to make sure we have everybody we can possibly think of that's connected to camp invited. So if I don't have your email address. Connected with OJ90, please go to OJ90.com and register your email address right there. You're not going to get a bunch of spam. It's not what it's for. We're not going to sell your name to any list or anything like that. All it's for is for us to send you an invite to make sure you have a chance to get a ticket to make sure that you can be a part of the biggest party in Camp Ojibwe history. That's it. Okay, here we go. Enough of that business. Right here, Jim Warren on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. So first and foremost, uh, please say your name and your years at Camp Ojibwa. My name is Jim Warren. And I started at camp, I believe it was 1972, 73, and 74. Then ended back up there around 80, 82, something like that. And then we came back with my youngest son, Zach, when he was 10. So he got to be a camper nice. for a couple of years. And then a few years later, he became a counselor, which is kind of the process <laughs> that, that camp brings around. Yeah, absolutely. So what, how did you get, how did you find out about camp in the first place? Well, Denny was my wrestling coach, ah. my football coach in high school. He was a slave driver. <laughs> and, and we learned, we learned some really valuable things because he was a pretty balanced coach and he was a very fair coach. Mm. So if you didn't want to do anything, he gave you choices. 
So, for example, if he said, we're going to go run a mile, and some of the guys said, no, no, we don't want to run a mile, he'd say, no problem, now you can do two or three miles. <laughs> so, so I learned that from him, and it's actually been very helpful you know, when raising my kids. Mm, sure. <laughs> you know, hey, no problem. You don't like that? Eh, no sweat. We'll give you a choice. <laughs> so, and uh, and it's, it's pretty funny because my oldest son figured out early, take the first choice. Yeah. And, and, and move on because... <laughs> Denny's second, third choices are never good. It never gets better. <laughs> no. And so I went up in 72, and so that was the summer after I went to boot camp in Marine Corps. Mm. And uh, I was a counselor in Cabin 3. Nice. So it was, it was pretty cool. And, and the, what I really loved about it was uh, Denny and Sandy probably were closer than my mom and dad. Because with Denny, I was four years in high school, two sports. Oh, of course. So yeah. I spent a lot of time with him. And Sandy was always there and always so sweet. And when they brought me up to camp and introduced me to camp, I finally understood what a family was all about. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, Pearl and, and Al and Mickey and Reva uh, treated me, geez, like a son. And so then the second year, Dickie Weinberg taught me how to be a waterfront director. Very nice. And I moved into the shack, and that was it. That's like, <laughs> if, if you're not a waterfront director, <laughs> you, you don't know what cool is. You've arrived at Camp Ojibwe. It, exactly. it is a legendary uh, title. It was a legendary living situation uh, down there. Yes. Uh, yes. And we'll get into some of that for sure. Uh, that first year, Cabin 3, do you remember any of, your, any of either your campers or like your co-staff or anything? Guys well, I remember out? Gary Plotkin. And um, Schubert, and there's you know I'm sure the names will come to me. Sure. And I think that the the interesting thing about it was one of the campers, and and I'm sure a lot of them, and a lot of counselors go through this, where the it's their first time away from home, and at ten mm. years old, they become homesick. Yeah. And so there was one young camper that was homesick and he was just always by himself so being of you know out of boot camp i i don't know how the kids would would take this and it'll be interesting as you meet them and talk to them you know if they reflect back on me as a counselor in cabin three sure but we always did clean up the night before mm. so we had everything folded we had everything swept we had everything put away so that the next morning they're able to go out and play and go to breakfast and come back and play. So their cleanup was done. Nice. So one of the kids would rebel, and he was the one that had the, uh, the being homesick. Mm. So we did some Marine Corps stuff, and he responded really well. And what was so cool about it was the kids started cheering him on. Mm. And the way that you know, I learned from Denny and then also the Marine Corps, is that if you make them more acceptable to the crew, they feel more part of it. Hmm. And yeah. so, so needless to say, you know, he did the push-ups, he did the stuff, he, he really rose to the occasion. And I think the best part about it was after camp, I got invited by his mom and Larry Schubert's mom to come to lunch. And 
this young kid's mom turns to me and says, what did you do to my son up at camp? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And I'm looking at her and I'm going, um, why? What do you say? You know, so she goes, because it's raining outside and he's outside playing football in the mud. And before camp, he wouldn't even gone outside in the rain. Hmm. So I don't think it was more of what I did. It was more of what camp did for him. Yeah. Which is really the experience that these kids get. So you get there and you're, I'm guessing, 19, 18, 19, probably, right? If you're after boot camp, so... Yeah, I'm 19, going to be 20. Um, is this like the, the guys you're used to hanging out with? I mean, like for me, when I got to camp, like I could have never afforded to go to this camp <laughs> no, <laughs> at no, all. No, I so come, There was a little bit of a culture shock for me. Right. When, when you talk about people growing up on the other side of the tracks, mm-hmm. I grew up on the other side of the other <laughs> side of the tracks. Okay. And I was lucky enough to have Denny as a coach and, you know, PE teacher. And we had a pretty progressive school mm. in, in Norwich at that time where they were trying to take blue-collar kids and educate them for college, mm. which was kind of an unusual situation in the you know uh, late 60s. Yeah, okay. for sure. So um, when I got to camp, I was really the, mini- the minority at that time mm. because it was Nachman and, and uh, uh, Elliot and sure. you know, all these guys that have been counselor cam- you know, campers and then counselors. So I was kind of, you know, the odd man out. Mm-hmm. And I was only there because Denny invited me. Otherwise, I could, I could never, yeah, I would never course. even have thought to go to camp. So, um, so it, was, it was pretty cool. It's interesting, and it's, this has come up uh, talking with guys before, that um, camp has always sort of homegrown a lot of its staff. You know, yes. I mean, some years more than others. When I first started, it was, a, it was probably about half the staff had been Campers for right now we will hire maybe one new guy a year. It's all overwhelmingly, but I think that those hires that were someone else that came in, I think that's been a lot about sort of the the ingredients to the to, to whatever we're cooking at camp. I think they've been important. In well, and I, I well I think that the cool thing about camp is that it helps uh, you know kids grow, you know, and taking care of themselves and also looking out for their cabin mates. Yeah. Okay, and then and it is very competitive. Let's face it; it's it's probably um, one of the most fun places to go and to learn about every type of sport mm. and some that you never hear about. Right. Because whoever played box hockey when they were kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Right. Pinners? Who played pinners? <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and then for competition. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. and, and I think that, um, you know, when I went... You know, I wasn't married, obviously, and uh, when Zach was 10, I thought it would be great for him because not only of the experience of being able to go to camp at 10, 11, and 12, but to make the relationships that will last a lifetime, which, you know, he went back, I think, this last summer. Yeah. And, you know, kind of saw, you know, what, what's going on now pre-camp and, and you know, how the, the fundraising's going, trying to help Denny. You know, do more things, and the cool thing about that is what getting scholarships for kids yeah. that couldn't afford to go. Yeah, that's a that's a really cool thing. Uh, you're talking about the BPS Men's League. That's yes. what Zach was up yes. for. Yes. And so they'll have between 100 and 150 guys, depending on the year. Right. And a lot of the proceeds from that go to a scholarship fund that help guys 
kids who maybe couldn't come to camp or whatever. Right. Yeah, right. it's a really cool thing. Um, and it was cool. I, I saw him there and uh, talking about those lifelong relationships. It's like, you know, it was 15 years ago, right. <laughs> we, were so, we weren't even like co-counselors together. We were just at camp together. Sure. And right away, I was like, oh, hey, man, Chris. He's like, I remember what's going on, Big Sexy, and all this stuff. So we, you know, <laughs> you just pick it right back up. Yeah. It's one of the beautiful yeah. things about camp. Have you ever thought about going up for the uh Oh, yeah. You men's all the time. You know, all the time. And we also think about going back for post-camp. Oh, bring definitely. everybody. Because it would be, you know, it's so much fun. I used to love post-camp. Yeah. As the waterfront director. <laughs> driving those beautiful boats. Right. You know, come on. You know, it's like, you know, you're the McGaffer without any money. So it's it, you know, it takes that kid that, you know, to understand, you know, if you work hard and you do well and you, you hang out with the right people that... Uh, you know, good things happen. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, speaking of the Waterfront Shack, now I have interviewed a gentleman who, your name has come up, let me just say, several times with different guys. That, there's no question. Uh, what guys? Uh, well, Because you know, some guys lie about anything. Uh, <laughs> Sandy Rosen, in fact, I believe. Uh, there was, she, we did a thorough discussion about the bird uh, with Sandy. <laughs> oh, okay, about, about Rocky. Yeah. yeah. yeah he was um, a dirty bird, yeah. But the one guy who... Um, it seems like was maybe maybe your closest camp friend. It seems like you guys were really hit off. So that's Dave Share. Yes. Uh, tell me a little bit about you and Dave. Well, Dave and I met at camp, and I think that we we became kind of kindred spirits. You know, I don't know how he looks at it, but uh, you know, we were kind of like brothers from another mother. Hmm. You know, thought alike, did alike. You know, he taught me how to trade, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I think he always got the better of me. <laughs> you know, because right. he yeah. traded some good stuff that I had that gave me some, you know, minor, you know, <laughs> lousy stuff that he had. And then when I would wear it, he'd like, he'd, he'd tell me, uh, you know, that just, that just doesn't look cool, man. You know, don't be wearing it. I'm like, well, why'd you trade it to me for then? You know, yeah, hey, thanks a lot. It made me look like a Mama Luke. You know, so. And, and uh, you know, we learned to barefoot water ski together. We, you know, drove the boat for each other. So, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely, you know, was some great time yeah. you know, working with Dave. Was he there when you got there, or, was, or were you the one that was there first? You know, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, all I know is I was the waterfront director, and then he said, hey, Dave Shear is going to be your assistant. And I don't know if we were co-waterfront for one year or two years or three years. Hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the when I had the Rocky, Rocky the Bird, so that had to be 1980. Okay. You know, we had the bird in the, you know, <laughs> so, and, and it, you know, I haven't talked to him in a long time, so uh, you never know what memories that you have, you know, that may or may not be what were. Sure, you know, of course. what was. So, of course. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. That's, that's really the heart of this thing is, is really like, uh, how the memories lay out next to each other. What's a little different here, right, there, you know, right. um, if every person who has told me they won every championship did win all those championships, I don't think we'd have enough plaques in the exactly. mess hall. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it seemed like, um, and talking to Dave about it and then seeing a bunch of pictures from various years, uh, that the two of you did have a pretty fun time down at the waterfront show. Yes. Um, yes. you guys were the fireworks crew. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, we don't do that anymore. Pretty dangerous when you think about it. <laughs> you know how crazy is that? Yeah. You know, shooting those suckers off. That's you know, that's that was crazy stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we ran that, and uh, we didn't wait five minutes in between. <laughs> I, th 
I think, you know, Al Schwartz, you know, set up, he always inspected and set up the mortars. Mm. And um, the one thing that I did insist on was covering up the stash of fireworks. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty smart. <laughs> you know, because I could foresee, and, you know, all of a sudden here's, you know, 200 people on the beach and that big stash goes up. <laughs> And you think Cabin 13 had an issue, that would have really been an issue. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I think we had four or five mortars, and we were just one, two, three, four. You know, people from the lake would all come around. Oh, sure, of course, yeah. You know, we'd shoot it off over the island, and, uh, you know, I think Dave tried to aim at somebody once. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie, Dave, sorry. <laughs> uh, so, what are, the, uh, what are some of the, the sort of events or camp activities that really stick out for you, the ones that you, you really liked, whether you were participating in or just being part of it. Well, I liked Peach League in 1972. Mm-hmm. I was a counselor in Cabin 3 because we won. Nice. <laughs> and it was very cool because um, Bartholomew was our number one pick, and Andy Schaefer was number two, and, and we inherited the nurse's son, who was never an athlete. Ah. Didn't know how to catch, didn't know how to throw... And it was cool because I kind of took, you know, the Denny, since I was coached by Denny, I kind of coached the way Denny coaches. And I made it the responsibility of the captains and the kids to teach the kid how to throw and how to catch and how to hit. And it was, you know, it was pretty rude because when he got up, he was always last batting. And when he got up, third base would come up almost to the pitcher mound and Mm. Outfield would come up to where shortstop was, and you know, so it was a little lousy. Sure. And uh, and he'd strike out every time. So the first couple of weeks, I think it, it was we never had four week and four week. It was all eight weeks at this time. Right. So after four weeks, um, every morning, since the kids didn't have to do cleanup, they took this young young uh, camper out and they taught him to throw. They taught him to catch. They taught him to hit. So then the second half of the season was pretty cool because we got into the championship rounds. Mm. And all of a sudden, everybody pulls up, you know, moves up on him, and he hits the ball over the right fielder's head. Wow. And he runs the first base. Everybody's going crazy. So now, the next kid gets up, hits it into the woods, he runs from first base across the pitcher mound to third play, third base. <laughs> and of course he's out. Sure. Okay. You know, so so we win the game, but we come back in and I go, okay, guys, so where do we make a mistake? <laughs> okay. So it's well, we never taught him to run the bases. No kidding. So, you know, because he's confused. You know, he's jumping up and down because sure. he's on third base. You know, it was it was it was funny, but it wasn't funny. Right. You know, and so then the last game, um, he hits a home run. Wow. And clears the bases. So I think that that, you know, had the most impact, uh, you know, on those kids. Yeah. So it would be interesting, you know, to see what Bartholomew and, and Schaefer and, you know, the kids on the 72 Peach League team, you know, thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or, if, or if I'm embellishing. Or well, if I thought more than 
you know, than it really was. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it probably certainly affected you maybe stronger being the adult in the situation, just sort of being able to see, you know, both perspectives. I don't know if at 19 bit. you're much of an adult. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was more Marine Corps oriented than Fair than enough. Anything, so. uh, you mentioned something important I don't want to leave out, and that is uh, nurses at Camp Ojibwe. So the Camp Ojibwe, not unlike the waterfront check, has always been a place of high regard. Right. The nurses have always you know, played a factor in the role of Camp Ojibwe. Now, did you have any experience in that area or that we can talk no, about? <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't know. I probably have to leave that up to Dave Share. I, you know, I did not have any uh, relationships with the nurses, you know, or anyone at camp. You know, I'm yeah. pretty, I, you know, because, you know, since Denny was, you know, my teacher and my coach, oh, of course, I was yeah. pretty well, you know, uh, Boy Scout. Yeah. You know, pretty much the Boy Scout. And hey, you know. No one gets hurt. Everybody learns to swim. Everybody canoes. Everybody skis. And, you know, and everybody gets back. Okay. And they have lunch. (laughs) So that was kind of, uh, you know, where we tried to keep it. Uh, You talked about Denny and Sandy. And uh, we mentioned Alan Pearl a little earlier. Now, I, um, starting in 2000, I was, you know, too young to have met Al or Pearl. Pearl was already long gone. And Al passed away. I think he was still alive that summer, but, you know, they weren't coming to camp or anything like that. But one of the cool things for me with this is getting to talk to guys and kind of live vicariously and learn about those guys. So tell me a little bit about Al and Pearl. Well, I used to dig it because the second year, I had the uh, good fortune to sit at head table. Ah. And Pearl, being the consummate teacher, would always correct bring and take, she and he, him and he, her and she, you know, when you use them, how you use them, you know, so, so that you had proper English. Mm. So it was really uh, spectacular because not only do you try to go up there to have fun and, and have spectacular meals, but you they tried to grow you as a person too. Mm. And uh, Mickey had a tremendous impact on me because, you know, he was... Always kind, and Riva too. Um, you know, so the Schwartzes, the the whole family was kind of like the family I wanted. You know, mm. when I was growing up. Sure. And so that was why it was so much fun to go to camp because it gave me ten weeks. Because I used to go up a week to two weeks early. Oh sure, yeah. And then stay for camp and then stay two weeks afterwards. So you know, I tried to drag that out as long as I could. <laughs> Believe me, I know that feeling. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was, it's great. Absolutely, uh, I I just talked with uh, when I was in San Francisco. I talked with David Baum, who was Henry and Molly Baum's son, okay. and he had been a waterfront director ahead of time. But uh, were Henry and Molly still around? Probably not by the time. Yeah. Uh, Molly was uh, Pearl's best friend, so she worked in the office for several years. I mean, I guess a long stretch. And then uh, David had grown up there, and then he was a camper and counselor and stuff like that. But. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know because I think that, you know, my stint was probably 72, 73, 74, uh, maybe 75. And then back again in 79, 80, 81, uh, maybe even the summer of 82. Mm-hmm. And then the summer of 83, because then I got married, and then the summer of 83, I was up with my uh, son, John, who was six. And then um, we had a race out of there at post camp because Zach was being born. Oh, nice. And then when Zach was 10, so that would have been about 93, we, w- we went back. I went back as the waterfront director in 93 and 94. Oh, okay. 
and possibly 95. Oh, okay. I didn't realize so you had come back and, and actually worked at the, during the summers. Right, nice. right. So, you know, which is always so cool, too, because you make a phone call and say, hey, Dent, you need somebody for the summer. You know, he's he's always going to find a place. Yeah, for sure. Know, there is. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was always, uh, you know, it, it's kind of always a place that you go to when someone says, where's your favorite place? Go there in your mind and you sit back and you want to meditate. I just think about being at the shack on Catfish Lake. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the calm comes over everything and it's just like, man, can't that be life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why does it have to end? Yeah. You know, why do I have to go home now? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, one thing I always ask everybody, how was the food? Are you kidding? <laughs> food was incredible. You know, when I was there in the, in 72, we had filet mignon every Friday night. And the junior counselors actually waited the tables. Right. So it wasn't the buffet now, you know, which seems to be probably a little more convenient and, and you know, uh, more effective in getting everybody in and out. And so, uh, you know, it was... Well, brisket, uh, actually, I think the filet mignon was on Saturdays. I think it was brisket, you know, and the, uh, the ceremony of the light, of, you know, lighting the lights uh, on Friday night. Mm. And, uh, you know, I would be surprised if you couldn't get a lot of the cassette tapes from Elliot. Mm. Because they used to have, like, hidden microphones. <laughs> For all kinds of stuff, <laughs> you know, post camp, you know, they got me on, uh, you know, my first year I was a rookie coach, and mm-hmm. they and they got me set up in um, collegiate week. Well, I have no clue when it comes to writing a skit. Sure. So, they've got me on tape singing Mr. Booze from Robin in the Seven Hoods. <laughs> if you want to laugh your head off, it's the it's the funniest thing ever. And now that I look back on it, if I knew then what I know now. I would have made it a comedy, mm. you know, instead of trying to be serious and running a sure. serious skit, you know. So yeah, Ducky Mednick was our, our number one pick, mm. and, and uh, yeah, they have some recordings, man. If you can <laughs> dig those up, it's, it's hilarious. We talk about that a lot. That you know, I, I mean, I joked earlier about you know it's a sports camp and the theater guy, or whatever. Right. But at the end of the day, like, there's always been a big rec hall. Contingent at oh, the yes. camp, you know, yeah. uh, across all. I mean, and that goes back to the very beginning. You mentioned Elliot a few times. Well, I'm just wondering about young Elliot. What, what was young Elliot like running around? And well, you know, he was always so rah rah camp. It was really cool. And uh, I, I loved it when he was involved in the, uh, you know, in, the, in swimming. Mm-hmm. Because I guess he held a record for the backstroke. One collegiate year, one collegiate week year, and man, his arms would go like windmills. He was like he was like a freak, you know. I said, Elliot, that's not a good backstroke, isn't it? I don't care, you know. I still win. I go. I guess that's what matters, you know. And and it and it's amazing because he's right. The faster you move those arms, the faster you get across. The faster you get there, you win. That's it. That's you collegiate week swimming so, right there. And and he was always really important because. I guess that when I was there, if you had a beef with the officiating, he and Nachman would kind of be the, you know, the go-to guys, mm. you know, and they were always really straight, you know, really fair, 
and and you know really good about this stuff. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think, it, you know, early in the, uh, you know, a lot of the songs, you know, Doc Nachman, I don't know if you ever heard his... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I never I never got to hear or see Rock and Robin, but I've heard of oh, him. Oh, man. When he would do that, it would light the place up. Mm. It was so much fun, you know. And uh, and then, you know, Elliot's cheer was always, a, a, you know, a lighter upper, you know. And so, and I think that that's, you know, the fabric of camp. Mm. You know, that they would allow themselves to be made fun of and not be the holier than thou or, you know, hey, you know, don't be doing that to me. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it made them more human and and really a key part, you know, of of camp being fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And not mean, you know. Right. It teaches you how to to take a joke and also understand, like... Respecting someone and laughing with and at, you know, like exactly. all of those things yes. together. They, they could be self-deprecating and, you know, and then it, they could take it and they would dish it out. Oh, definitely. And if they dished <laughs> it out, you definitely had to take it because there was no choice yeah. because they took it, you know. So so it was all in good fun and it was always, uh, you know, a blast. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember coming up to camp one year after I got married, you know, before Zach was born. And this, I think this was uh, 82, on summer of 82, we went to post camp. And I brought my new wife, and, you know, my son was six, and, and Laura was four. And um, we're up there, and they set my wife up on a snipe hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you know what's coming. Mm-hmm. So we're up there, and they, they're doing the whole production. Okay, we got the stick man, we got the bag man, we got the light man, you know, and so they're having the meeting up in the counselor's lodge, and I'm looking at Kate, you know, we've only been married, uh, you know, April, so May, June, oh, July, wow. August, so four months, <laughs> only been married four months, right? And so, and, and, and Kate's, Kate is known out here in California as Kate the Catholic. Okay. So when I brought her to Ojibwa, and on the first Friday night... She was having sweat pour down her forehead because she never was at, you know, a, a Jewish ceremony. Sure. So she thought she was going to burst in flames, that God <laughs> was going to come down. And I remember Mike Zaslowski just having a ball with her, okay, because he said, well, just ask me questions. You know, ask me questions. And so we went and had pizza at Alexander's, and mm. she starts asking them questions, and they start pulling her leg. And so then they keep setting up the snipe hunt. And I'm like, Kate, there's no snipe hunt. I'm sorry. She goes, you just don't want me to have fun. And I said, Kate, I'm telling you, there's no snipe hunt. It's all pretend. She wouldn't believe me. I'm telling you, they had her, they had her, and Billy Schwartz, you know, he was right there too. He says, you know, hey, Kate, do you want to be, you, you need to be the bag person, you know, because the bag person is the most important, you know. So then they set the whole thing up, right? The stick person is out in front, so we're on the trail, and it's dust going down. Mm-hmm. And the stick person bangs the sticks, and the you know, and then you somebody says snipe possibility, and the the light people and the bag people run to where the snipe possibility is, and they flash the light at the back of the bag, and then the snipe you know runs to the light, and when it hits the bag, boom, you you're done. Sure. So Kate caught three snipe that night. Oh, this poor girl. (laughs) 
So I'm, I'm standing there, right? We're in the counselor's lodge at the end. And remember now, the whole time, I'm trying to tell her there's no such thing as snipe. And they took her and got her hook, line, and sinker. So now we're in the counselor's lodge. And Billy's up there, and they're starting to do the ceremony of, all right, all those that you know caught snipe, please come up here because you get to empty the bag and, and see what you caught. And so we're in the back, and I'm with Pearl and, and Riva. And... Reva leans over to me and says, so how's it going to feel being divorced after only four months? <laughs> I said, Reva, I told her. She goes, uh, you didn't do a good job. So Kate's up there, and they bring the bags up. Billy's got the three bags, and they're bouncing around, right? They're shaking the bags. Of like course. There's really something in there. And so they make her dump it out. And it was teddy bears. <laughs> And so she screams, you know, because she doesn't know what it is. And, but she starts laughing. And that's what won Pearl and Revo over. Mm. Because she said, look at the great sense of humor. You know, because, you know, to be made fun of for a whole week, you know, set up for a whole week. And you know how camp is. Sure, of course. You know, they get, they get <laughs> what you. What you get going. <laughs> well, if they can set you up, boy, they don't let up. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're relentless. And I mean, it was hilarious. Wow. It was so much fun, and that's on tape. That's you know, fantastic. it'd be fun if you could find that tape. That's that's hilarious, you know. But uh, you know, that that's what camp really was. Yeah, you know, going up and having a blast like that. You talked about uh, coming back with Zach. So tell me a little bit what that's like now that you know the place and you know what it means to you, and now to be able to come and bring your son and have him be part of that. What was that experience like? Well, you know. Uh, when he turns 10, you know, I, call, I give Denny a call, and he says, yeah, come on up, be the waterfront director. And I said, how much better is that, you know, to bring Zach up to camp, let him, you know, be in the cabin. And, um, you know, he just, he just enjoyed the heck out of it. And, I, and then he also allowed his best friend, you know, Pete Hermes, to come up. Mm. So the two of them got to be in the cabin together and just had a great, you know, great summer. You know, and, and being a soccer player from California, he got to dominate, whereas on the basketball oh, court, sure. he got dominated. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, and, and I think that he still has, he's still good friends with Todd Hayden mm -hmm. and, you know, that whole crew. Yeah. And they, I think this last summer when he went back, he hasn't been back since, geez, I don't know, when he was 19, 18, yeah. 19, 20. So 13, 14 years ago, so 2003, mm, yeah. he might have gone back as a counselor. I think that's right. And, um, you know, it just, you know, it, it's, it always was great for me to know that he could go and play all day long mm. and be safe. And I think that that's one of the biggest things at camp, that once you cross that threshold, that the outside world of worry about cars or worry about, you know, things is gone. Hmm. And they just play till they're hungry, <laughs> eat till they're sleepy, <laughs> sleep till they're hungry, <laughs> and then go play some more. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, kind of really well a fun thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> did he, do you feel like he had his, do you feel like he enjoyed camp as much as you did? Well, I, I know that I kind of pushed him. You know, to take tennis lessons, you know, do sailing. You know, he sure. didn't. He didn't. He didn't want to do the waterfront as much as I wanted him to, but I think he now appreciates 
the tennis lessons mm -hmm. because you don't get the you know here's a tennis pro teaching you tennis lessons are you kidding me you can't afford that stuff right and those are skills that last you your whole life mm -hmm. so now when you're an adult and somebody says hey let's go play tennis now you're not going to play like uh, you know these guys do today but at least you'll be able to return the ball right. you'll understand the game and you can be sociable which yeah. I think is what camp does for you you know, across the board, is it increases your ability to be sociable mm -hmm. in a group setting as well as individuals over a whole uh, range of social and economic backgrounds. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's, it's really a, a, an important part, I think, of anyone's life. And if any kid can go to camp, it's something that, even if it's four weeks... I know it's a life-changing experience. Yeah. One thing I don't want to uh, ignore is um, you and Denny have a pretty amazing relationship. I just wanted to tell you that right. how much you mean to him. Um, oh, yeah. You mean a lot to him. So yeah. I, I wanted to be the person who expresses that. Well, so, thank you. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. He really, uh, he was very fired up about this. And, and the more we talked about it, the more I could tell how much genuine love there is. Well, so. I spent, you know, I've spent, you know, so many hours with him. And I always wondered why, you know, I was the first-string quarterback. As little as I was, you know, freshman, sophomore, uh, and senior year. And I think it's because he always would have a challenge. And being the littlest guy, I was always challenged. Mm. People always challenged me, man. You know, it couldn't be, oh, yeah, you're the quarterback and that's it. No. You know, every week had my brains kicked in. Sure, okay, of course. You know, and then... Uh, you know, I remember as you know as a wrestler, because I couldn't play basketball too little. Right. You know, every time I went to shoot, big guys <laughs> like you would slam that ball so in my that's face. Great. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Bam! I'd be like, okay, I, I I get the message. All right. So then you know wrestling, and I don't know why I just didn't go play golf. Hmm. You know, play golf. Go to the country club. Don't, nice. don't be grabbing sweaty guys' butts. You know what? What's the matter with you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know. So in wrestling, we we spent a lot of you know a lot of time together. Hmm. Um, and you know, then track. He didn't do track, but uh, but yeah. And then when he invited me to come to camp, you know, it was absolutely a uh, you know an honor. Yeah. Are you in uh, Nesper? Pretty oh, age-wise or oh, about the yeah. same? Yeah, Glenn's, or? I think, a year younger than me. Yeah. Glenn, great guy. Yeah, Glenn, uh, you know, Glenn used to beat the hell out of me in wrestling because he's, you know, a couple, you know, he's like a monster. <laughs> he, he wrestled real wrestling. I wrestled 120 pounds. <laughs> he wrestled with real animals wrestle, you know, mm. 145 and up. Wow. And, uh, uh, you know, one year, my senior year, then he discovered that I uh, never lost a dual meet in four years. So in one school, in our school, we go wrestle another school, and I never, I was undefeated. So Nesper was hilarious. He comes over one day, and, you know, he's a junior, I'm a senior. He goes, hey, Mr. Undefeated, come here. Wraps me up and ties me up and beats the hell out of me. And he goes, yeah, well, okay, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, he That's was, great. yeah, he was, uh, you know, he's a great guy. I didn't, uh, I didn't cross paths with him in actual camp. I think he stopped in the 90s somewhere. Right, um, and I started two thousand. But I've got I've met him now and interviewed him through this, so right. I, I knew who he was, and, and he lives up there. Oh yeah, yeah, so he would come around and visit and stuff. Right. Ask so. him, and next time you see him, ask him about the stick. Okay, because I was in Mighty Ducks too. Okay, okay, and anybody listening to this, 
What I'd suggest is that you please go out and watch Mighty Ducks 2. I'd also suggest you buy a couple of them. <laughs> you know, because uh, I do get residuals still from Mighty Ducks 2. As a matter of fact, I'll share with you my latest oh. residual check from the from the rat. I call him the rat, not okay. the mouse. Fair you know, enough. That's you know, fair. Mickey Mouse, Mickey sure. Rat. You know, so there's my... Oh, that's that's lovely. That's really... Uh, that's three dollars and one cent, I believe, is what I'm saying. There. Yes, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> it's from Mighty Ducks 2. To be fair, that movie did come out a few years ago, so... Well, yeah. That could be a so lot I've been getting that. So I've been getting that <laughs> every quarter, yeah. every quarter for, since, uh, <laughs> you know, since it came out. Because I was the trainer for the actors mm. in Mighty Ducks 2. Because uh, they used the extra genie. And we were trying to help them improve their... Uh, the actor's skating ability, so they didn't need as many uh, stunt doubles. Oh, nice. So um, the director liked what we were doing, so he said, hey, why don't you stick around being extra? So I did a stunt for Michael Tucker in the mm. movie, and that's why I'm getting paid, because I was a stunt man. Nice. And uh, so when I went back up you know, with Glenn, you know, he started using some of the stuff on the ice, because he's a big hockey player. But the scene that I'm in, I bring Wayne Gretzky into the locker room. And so I had Gretzky sign a stick. So I have a Wayne Gretzky stick. Nice. So I'm up there, and I think when Zach was, you know, 93 or 94, and Glenn was the... Uh, head counselor. The head counselor. And he was telling me, you know, oh, yeah, the great one. You know, I mean, they're drooling over the great one, right? Of course. So the next year I come up and I bring the stick, and I present it to him. You would have thought that I gave him a gold bar. <laughs> so if you ever get a chance when you see him talk, ask him if he still has the stick. So supposedly he has the stick mounted above his fireplace, and everybody from the neighborhood came out to see the stick. Wow! You know, so I, I thought that was cute. Yeah. Because being out here in L.A., celebrity isn't as big, right? Of course. You know, as as it would be in the in the Midwest, and it's nice to see someone appreciate something like that. Yeah. Know, rather than oh yeah okay great big deal no. You know, it was it was kind of fun to see uh, see him make a big deal about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the extra genie. Do you want to do a little plug or anything? Do you want to talk about your business? Uh, well, you know, I've been dealing with the extra genie since '71. Wow. Right. We used it with the Rams, the Raiders, the Vikings, the 49ers, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Golden State Warriors. It went to the moon with the astronauts in Apollo seven, eight, and eleven. So I've actually lectured to NASA and the astronauts for the trip to Mars. Very cool. And uh, all that and five bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> but if you, you know, so I've been on Golf Channel with Billy Mayfair, uh, doing a fit for golf, you know, program. Uh, so almost anyone in the Hall of Fame of any sport has used an Exergenie okay. as one of the tools to improve their rehab or improve their hamstring stuff or, you know, throwing abilities and stuff. So, uh, you know, and we're still, we're still at it. Nice. You know, which is a beautiful thing. And I, and I think, Denny, if I would have had an extra genie in 1968, when you took me down to the Olympic trials, of which, remember, we won the first round of the Olympic trials. And I do appreciate the fact that you offered to drive me to the Olympic training camp in Colorado to try to make the Olympic team. Wow. I think if I would have had an extra genie, I definitely... <laughs> would have won state and maybe made the Olympic team and won a gold medal. Which wow. definitely would have made 
our conversation a little bit different. Because <laughs> so, Denny always kind of teases me of being the greatest wrestler that he ever had that never won state. Mm. And uh, so I don't know if it's on me or is that on the coach? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it on me because I don't think you want Denny to have any, you know, <laughs> any love around you. Absolutely. I love you, Den. <laughs> Well, I think, I don't know if we could wrap it up any better than that. That sounds awesome. Thank okay. you so much for taking the time to do this. Hey, thanks I for really coming all the way out it. to California, beautiful Santa Monica. Absolutely. All right. All right. See you in it. the movies. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Jim Warren. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, I'll tell you, it was awesome because when I sat down with Jim, he was at a buddy's house helping him do some um, work and uh, some woodworking and stuff. And so he just like took a break and we went in, sat at the guy's dining room table and just knocked it out. Uh, what a great guy. Also, for you stat heads out there who like to keep up with the intricate statistics of the Campo Jimbo History Podcast, I can assure you that is the first use of the word Mamaluke in the entire history of the podcast. So there you go. Put that down in your calendars. Uh, speaking of calendars, have you put May 6th, 2017 in your calendar? I talked about it before. OJ90.com. OJ90.com. Go make sure we have your email address. If you haven't done it, take two seconds to do it. We just want to make sure you have a chance to be there because we want everyone there. That's simply it. We want it to be the biggest, the largest. It's like the gathering of the Juggalos, except it's the gathering of the Ojibwa, and it's going to be incredible. All right. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. It's time to get outside. It's time for a cigar.